0: And welcome to today's Energy Intelligence Podcast. I'm Ian Nathan, Director of Global LNG Research in New York, and I'm joined by Michael Sultan, Editor of LNG Intelligence in Washington. Hi, Mike. Hi, Hi, Ian. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a few key LNG themes uh, that we see for 2021, following a very unusual 2020. First, we'll touch on expectations for LNG contracting particularly in the context of the winter price spike that everybody's still talking about. Second, we'll tackle some supply-side expectations as well. Finally, we'll discuss some demand factors with a focus on Europe. So with that in mind, Mike, the winter was not for the faint of heart.
1: Yeah, the, uh, this winter, the uh, LNG Intelligence uh, Spot LNG price assessments, they went on a but can only be described as a roller coaster ride. Um, starting in the week of December 1st, they soared over 18 bucks over six weeks, about a $3 jump every week, reaching $25. And then the assessment sank $17 over four weeks, a drop of about $4.30 every week. Uh, and uh, the, the reason is really, I mean, this is the first ever COVID winter. I mean, the LNG market has never seen a COVID winter. Last year, COVID hadn't really blossomed entirely in the winter. So th- this is it was arguably a one-off situation and in, in that situation there was I mean I, I I consider it I would call it double volatility I mean the w- winter is already a volatile volatile period for gas LNG prices but if you add in the uncertainty of possible COVID-19 lockdowns along with the reductions in gas demand that come with that, or the post-lockdown reopenings with the increases in gas demand that comes with that. I mean, with those two factors, how do you forecast gas demand in that situation? I mean, no wonder prices did what they they did. Uh, But on the other hand, this period has been pretty useful. It was a very useful stress test. I, I like to call it a stress test. Last summer there was a huge wave of U.S. LNG cargo cancellations by design, absorbed some of the stress of the downturn, and then U.S. LNG cargos by design again surged following the price spike. So it's, uh, but of course the the bigger question here we in is what are what are the implications for this? You know, in terms of contracting.
0: Uh, it's and it's important, and uh, you know, notwithstanding the fact that all of my graphs now have this big spike on the right side of them. Uh, you know, there is a longer term implication here. And that is, I mean, the big question is about contracting. You know, we had expectations for an uptick in, in, uh, in, in long-term deals. Uh, you know, we've had these expectations for quite some time, but this winter volatility has just added fuel to the fire. Uh, why is that? Well, you know, first, you know, we were seeing a lot of long-term deals expiring over the next few years. I calculated around, uh, I think it was 67 million tons expiring uh, from 2023 to 2025. But at the same time, we're also seeing low slopes and still low oil prices that uh, that we expect to gain strength. And it's actually, uh, the oil market has actually been strengthening, I think, a little bit earlier than previously anticipated uh, in 2021. And, and all of this is providing a good opportunity for buyers to want to term up their volumes. Um, and of course, this, this winter volatility comes along and gives, uh, gives buyers just another reason to commit to, uh, to longer-term volumes. Um, now, I know that, that for quite some time, uh, you know, there's this, uh, this feeling out there that the market had become liquid enough where, where buyers could sit around and, and, and just tap the spot market whenever uh, they needed to uh, and not have to commit to more volumes. But, uh, but the winter volatility, even as odd as it may have been, uh, or as out as it still is, uh, you know, it, it's still something that I suspect is going to give, uh, give buyers uh, a little more uh, reason to, uh, to rethink those, those strategies. Um, I think the next question though, really comes down to whether or not uh, the contracting piece, whether or not, um, you know, an uptick in deal-making this year is going to be good for new projects. Um, you know I think the answer is, is that it is definitely supportive but by no means any guarantee as new projects still have to compete with existing capacity and uh, uh, and that's something that um, you know that's that's just sort of clouding uh, clouding the outlook uh, and has has been clouding the outlook for quite some time uh, and that and that's a good place to really segue into the second part of our conversation here and that is um, you know, whether or not uh, 2021 is going to be positive for FIDs, um, you know, are, are really are the strengthening market conditions that we're seeing in the LNG trade or are, are they enough uh, to support new projects? Uh, of course, before we get into this, we should probably acknowledge uh, that uh, that one of the projects that we had expected to reach FID this year uh, has, of course, uh, gotten the green light. That's uh, Qatar's uh, Northfield expansion phase one. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, uh, that it's going to be smooth sailing in during the rest of the year for other other ventures. And you know, we've identified a, a couple of, of key factors that we need to watch this year. I think the first thing that's worth noting is uh, that that projects that were still under development prior to the pandemic. Um, you know they had they didn't resolve all of their project specific issues they didn't resolve all their commercial challenges uh there were still some technical and, and uh technical issues that were plaguing a few of them and there are several above ground risks uh, in places like mozambique and png that uh you know that continue to linger um, and so certainly 2020 was not a great year uh, for resolution of project specific issues but i think the second thing that's worth noting and this might be uh, a little bit new, uh, or, or perhaps uh, underappreciated, and that's the corporate strategy aspect. And that's where the crisis of 2020 had much, a much more, uh, much more, uh, much greater impact on 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 company strategies and priorities. Uh, you know, prompting the uh, you know the, the crises really prompted the prioritization of current cash flow and the deprioritization of projects that aren't going to generate revenue for four to five years. Uh, you know, Exxon is really at the heart of the story, but it's not the only one. You know, we've seen several projects um, you know rethink uh, how priority how how much their new capacity should be prioritized and and that's worth keeping in mind. so you'll you'll certainly see that as as companies exit the pandemic, uh, we'll see whether or not their finances and their uh, their priorities uh, remain intact and we're certainly seeing that in some cases uh, that's not. That's not the case, but there is an upside though. And that is that uh, I have no doubt that there are several companies out there. that are practically gleeful at the thought that they might be able to exploit other project delays. And, uh, and so we'll see if of the, you know, tens of millions of tons that are under development and, and working toward FID, if any manage to, to really get, uh, you know, to get their uh, their act together, and to really manage to uh, to steal a march on others that are unable to. Um, but in the meantime, listen. I think it's worth, as long as we're talking about uh, you know uh, new projects and new capacity, we really can't we can't exit the conversation without talking about the U.S. So, Mike, you know, uh, you know, we were having this conversation earlier, but but I think it's worth you know highlighting some, some issues here.
1: Yeah, and I, I will um, uh, possibly a, a non PC tack here, but the uh, uh, I I think US LNG probably has more to worry about from President Biden than from COVID. You you could say that you could say it as uh, Biden forty six is more potent than COVID nineteen. Um, Biden is already imminent mean, in the day one added uncertainty in terms of the US upstream leasing fracking on federal lands, which often affects adjacent private lands. Um, this and, and, and anything that raises the cost of uh, feed gas or, uh, or roads netbacks is going is, is to be problematic. I mean, it's going to make operating projects less profitable, makes buy-sell deals harder, slows FIDs in the U.S., so um, fortunately for the, U- the U.S., there's a tremendous amount of potential U.S. LNG capacity already fully approved by the federal government, expansion projects, et cetera. So at least on, the, on, on that won't, won't necessarily, the law, that, won't, that won't, be, won't affect things. But going forward, at some point, the U.S. is going to need more approved projects, and that isn't going to be easy. I mean, it certainly won't be easy under the new FERC leadership, which is looking at more uh, stringent environmental reviews. Um, uh, let's uh, i mean, Let's talk about the demand side.
0: Well, you know, I, I think the demand side is a good. It's a good segue because, you know, on a related note to U.S. project sanctions, you know, we were already seeing that uh, you know that Europe is potentially problematic. Now, you're you're saying, Mike, that you know that attention is 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 going to shift further to to climate-related matters. I, I wonder if that is going to be enough uh to really win favor in countries that already have uh growing growing issues with with shale gas you know is that going to be enough and say a a new FERC approved project you know that 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 takes some climate uh more climate measures into consideration um you know do you think that's going to be something that will be satisfactory for countries that have already uh started to show some resistance to u.s gas supply
1: uh, it uh, sort of depends somewhat on, on uh, who satisfaction of who, I mean, there will be uh, more mainstream environmentalists that will go along with, with, uh, appropriate improvements to, uh, to your environmental state, but there are some uh, parts of it that are going to be very loud that will never, uh, uh, will never agree to anything. So it's uh, it's it's going to it's going to depend who 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 has the uh, political upper hand in various countries.
0: And it's it's an important point though that uh, that there is enough uh, enough is probably not the right word, but certainly a considerable amount of capacity that's already uh, already approved and and therefore. Uh, It's really, it really just comes down to the commercial, uh, really the commercial side to, uh, you know, to make these projects, uh, you know, work and and to go uh, to move forward. Um, You know, but let's let's get into the Europe question. Uh, And this this is our our third our third key topic here, which is really on the demand side. We want to look at Europe, uh, you know, for, for several reasons. And I think it's it's probably. It's probably more obvious or more popular to to really focus uh, more heavily on Asia, where um, it's clearly uh, where the growth is. Uh, it's clearly an important place to focus. There are clearly a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, interesting uh, interesting things uh, that will determine uh, you know, LNG growth in, in several of the uh, several of the markets. But I think we can't ignore europe because of its climate policy leadership and the implications that it has for gas and lng and i think this comes down to uh, to a few key points uh you know first i think we should be thinking that you know europe is still a considerable and significant market on its own you know and, and sometimes we in our focus on asia we tend to forget that even in the leaner years uh, earlier in the 2010s, um, you know, Europe was still getting 40 million tons per year of LNG and that's that's nothing to sneeze at and and so growing resistance to unabated gas in the region uh, is 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 a key signpost with with real long term market consequences. Uh, I think that's uh, you, you just can't talk about Europe without acknowledging uh, just the pure market impact. And again, uh, you know, for those looking to supply Europe as part of a long term strategy, uh, you know, you ignore uh, this growing climate policy momentum at, at your peril. Um, and I keep coming back to to some of this difficulty that uh, that we started to see, uh, you know, last year um, you know, with uh, with certain deals coming under scrutiny and uh, and other objections that are starting to mount. And I think this is uh, you know, this is. You know, definitely worth noting and i think that if europe is going to become a more uh more challenging market over the longer term um because of uh of, of climate related matters and emissions uh you know benchmarks that need to be met uh then it's definitely possible that competition for markets elsewhere will ramp up so i think that it's it's uh, uh absolutely worth considering that there are broader implications than um, than than just the European market, although the European market is key. And the second piece. Is that. Europe is really providing a uh, a preview of 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 climate leadership um, that could emerge elsewhere over the longer term. You know, first, it's it's renewables adaptation. And 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 we're already starting to see this, uh, you know, throughout Asia um, as renewables become more competitive. Um, And then there is the the climate policy piece uh, and the decarbonization piece. And in in certain uh, countries in Asia, you know, in China and in Japan and South Korea, countries that have made net zero announcements and uh, are working on on those much longer term commitments, you know, you're already starting to see uh, that, uh, you know, that that this climate policy leadership is, is starting to spread. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting that, you know, um, you know, some other uh, some other markets like Bangladesh uh, or even Pakistan or, or, or Vietnam um, are going to, uh, uh, you know, become uh, are going to adopt climate policy and emissions policy. Uh, The way that european countries have overnight i don't certainly don't think that's going to be the case you know but you're already starting to see um, not just the the broader embrace of renewables uh, but greater uh, aversion to coal um and 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 that should be once again uh, a longer term signpost for uh you know for you know for the direction that we're moving in and that's the other reason why europe is, is very important
1: what i would just add is that the the european leadership will be more uh, a stat, if if they can make it work by the numbers, it isn't so much they 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 lead by by what uh, their initial by policy lead, but if they can make these uh, make the uh, inv- make if they can make these environmental moves and make the make all the the numbers work out, then it'll start to be imitated even even more so than just sort of with the uh, uh, policy leadership, I would think. but well
0: th- this is uh, you know this is going to be the most interesting part. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and as we as we consider um, uh, our, our, our just released long-term, uh, long term, updated long term forecast, you know, we, we're already seeing that uh, you know, this this great divide that, um, you know, that uh, that helps us inform not just our, our base case, um, but also high variability in, in the direction of, of demand over the longer term. Uh, so I expect that. Uh, 2021 will be very revealing with regard to the kind of policy the uh, policy uh implications um that um, you know that will really drive uh drive the lng market forward so I, I think that it you know we're in for a very interesting year and uh you know i think there's just no no getting around the fact that you uh, know every year is an interesting year but but this one i think should really be uh very illuminating and uh, we look forward to, uh, to speaking with you in our audience uh, once again as, uh, as events develop. Mike, do you have any uh, closing remarks before we, we sign off?
1: I was just uh, pointing out, you know, as, uh, Europe, of course, is, is not entirely a monolith. I mean, there are many other, uh, uh, other, there are other drivers that affect it. Uh, what is interesting, Poland is the most interesting example for me, because their energy priorities are a little different than the EU's, and some of the, you know, they have some of the same drivers, but different, dri- many different drivers. You know, they want to replace coal plants, but there's also the, the very strong energy security component. And uh, what, what I've always found fascinating about the LNG business is that, uh, not just in Europe, but historical memory appears to play a surprisingly strong role in LNG markets. And, and the evidence of that is, you know, Poland's efforts, Lithuania's efforts to eliminate dependence on Russian gas. It's, it's, uh, and you see that in other parts of the world. But it, it is. So, so while Europe is going to move in a certain direction, there are other factors that will certainly uh, make it an interesting year. That's for sure.
0: Not without question. Well, Many thanks. Well, I think that concludes our our podcast for today. I want to thank you for listening, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.